Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot, the tennis podcast by fans. I'm Joel. I'm Kim. And today we are having a look back at the Battle of the Brits, the Adria Cup controversies and the recent US Open tournament announcements. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Passing Shot, a brand new episode. We are back from our time off, from our summer holidays. And Kim, it feels like genuinely there is a lot to catch up on in the tennis world. I know we say this every week, don't we, Joel? But um, there actually is quite a lot to catch up on. And I mean, I don't know about you, but my summer holiday only really consisted of me sitting in my garden and binge watching Downton Abbey. So <laughs> I'm kind of looking forward to getting stuck into something again. What about you? I, I've almost, I've actually done the opposite. I've taken what I've liked to call a reverse holiday into London. I've had loads of annual leave to take and I basically, I didn't want to spend it at my family home. So I've, I've come back in, um, into, into tooting, um, to have a little bit of a, a little bit of a break from, from country life. But, uh, of course I have been, um, keeping up to date with all of the, the tennis goings on, the good tennis goings on, the bad tennis goings on, uh, which we'll of course get to. But let's, let's start, I think, with the, the good tennis goings on at the moment and let's kind of start yeah, close to home, Battle of the Brits. Um, I, I think the final is due to take place in a few minutes between Carl uh, Edmund and Dan Evans. You know, it was also the, you know, the return of Andy Murray. He had that pelvic injury that he got the Davis Cup and he'd been out for a while. It was his return. You know, there's lots of things we can we can start with and, and talk about. But uh, I guess let's just talk about the, the tournament as a whole to begin with. Because I think, you know, what we've seen over the last you know few days is that this is how you run a tennis tournament in the new normal. Yeah, I would I would agree. I mean, if you compare the Adria Cup, which we'll get onto in a bit, but, you know, compare that to the measures in place at uh, Roehampton. And it's, yeah, it's a country mile kind of apart, really. And I think everyone's behaved well. It's been a very, like, dignified, organised, calm event. We've seen some excellent tennis. Um, as you said, we've seen Andy Murray back on a tennis court it's given the players a really good opportunity to kind of see where they're at and kind of get a bit of competitive play in before, you know, they start to embark on on real life events that are going to be happening over the next few months. But yeah, all credit where it's due to Jamie Murray for kind of putting all this together because it's been it's been lovely just to watch a bit of tennis, to be honest with you, and and not have to worry about Dist- well, you know, not having to worry about thousands of people sort of milling around, I suppose, in, in, in the new normal that we're in. 
Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a closed court event. There were no uh, there were no you know, crowds there, but it was it was still obviously great. It was televised on Amazon Prime, so you know fans could you know fans could watch it. And you know, I think I was almost kind of surprised that yes, this was an exhibition of sorts, but the quality was really high. And you know, we had some very very close matches. Quite a few matches go to three sets. I feel like it it did go to the form book in in one sense. You know, we've we've seen you know Kyle Edmund and and Dan Evans in the final, and and we'll get on to kind of talking about them. But let's obviously first talk about you know Andy Murray because. I feel like that was the, you know, I think that was the burning question for a lot of people is, you know, we hadn't seen Andy Murray on a tennis court since, you know, he struggled through, you know, we were there. He struggled through that Davis Cup match, didn't he? Um, against, I think it was against the Netherlands, but it was really kind of, that was the big question mark on on how how good was Andy Murray going to be in, you know, quite a, a high quality field when you consider there's, you know, Dan Evans, Carl Edmund and Cam Norrie all playing. Um, he's exceeded my expectations. I wasn't expecting him to come in and completely blitz the competition and, and win it. That would have been nice. But, you know, he got to the semifinals, gave a really good account of himself. And, you know, the fact that he was playing, uh, you know, consecutive matches day after day, I think that's a, a really encouraging, a really encouraging sign. Absolutely. And I think I think going into it, you know, he wasn't putting too much pressure on himself, at least not publicly. You know, he was sort of saying he was only the sixth favourite and he wasn't sort of, um, you know, expecting to reach semi-final. So I guess according to that kind of um, prediction that, he, you know, he put himself put upon himself, I suppose he's exceeded that. And we saw some really strong tennis from him, especially that first set against Dan Evans yesterday in the semi-final. I think with Andy, it's just, you know, getting the um, the match practice in and getting his fitness back up um, so that he can actually stay um, in these matches and produce the form consistently across the whole match. Because I think in all of his matches, really, we saw a bit of a dip as it went on. And so I think that's obviously what he's working towards. And I think this is in a way, yeah, like the perfect event for him to kind of test his hip um, and all the other sort of niggling injuries, I guess, that he may have around that um, before going on to, I think he's going to play the Washington Open in August. So he's got kind of from now until then to take, you know, his performances and and everything from this week on um, onto that really. And I mean, I think, you know, he has pulled out of the, the third place playoff today with, I think, citing a, a shin problem. Uh, so he hasn't been able to play today. So James Ward has come in against Norrie in this third play, third place playoff. But Andy's been kind of coaching James Ward and sitting at the sidelines. So, uh, you know, fair play to him. He's, he's still getting involved today where he can. And I think I think it's important, as you said, it's it's all about match practice. And no matter how much, you know, how many, no matter how many training blocks you do, you you need to, you're not, you're going to need to have, um, you know, practice against top players on a tennis court. And you know, even though this you know, was an exhibition event, it felt very, you know, once the you know the first shot was played, it felt like it felt very competitive. And you know. To be in this environment to you know play players like Dan Evans and Kyle Edmund, I think you know it's it's done him a world of good and really has kind of shown I think shown him but also shown fans as well you know where where his level is at and I I think I quite like this sort of um, you know at the moment he's almost he is in that sort of weird situation where yes he's a former world number one 
but he is the he is the underdog and you know in the the semi-final um you know i saw in in, in the media it was kind of like almost kind of dressing up dan evans was the favorite in that match and you know i i, I you know i agree with that statement but i'm also you know i'm fine with it because i think andy murray plays his, his best tennis when there's less pressure on him when he is in that you know that underdog scenario and i think you know he's not trying to get um you know, too ahead of himself and I think it's a you know really good a really good kind of approach um you know approach to, to take to the court also I think Joel this was the first time that Dan Evans and Andy had actually played in a competitive match um from from what I've read which surprises me to be honest um but I think yeah it, it would be rude I, I think not to call Evans the the favorite considering you know he's reached the top 30 and and has obviously played a lot more matches and been in a lot better form than Andy over the last kind of year or so. And he's actually played, you know, um, in recent months, uh, well, you know, before the, the, the stoppage, but um, it was a very close match. Though. It was 10, eight in the, in the final, you know, match tie break. And as was the other semi-final. So there's some excellent tennis played yesterday. And um, I think, you know, the final that we've got is, yeah, as you, as you said, it's kind of gone gone according to the form books so it'd be really interesting to see I think I mean I would I'd have to say that Evans is probably going to edge it he's he's unbeaten this week so I think he would deserve it but obviously we'll see what happens um and I mean in terms of the other players it's it's been nice to kind of have a look at I don't know Ryan Penniston you know I've never seen him play before obviously we had Paul Jubb um playing so it's been good to see these other players that we wouldn't normally get to kind of see much of um I know we had a few uh withdrawals with Jack Draper and Jay Clark pulling out so a bit of a shame that they couldn't couldn't quite um you know make it they obviously had injuries and they had to assess you know attend to those but it's been good to kind of just obviously have live tennis but it's just been a really good little um little tournament and I think the way they've done it with the match tie breaks has been really good because it's I think if you'd have played three full sets it would have been a bit much for everyone to come back to yeah I think I think that's right I think it's it's been a good um you know we've seen some exhibitions which we'll get on to still kind of lots of crazy ideas um and rules into you know how they um you know how they you know format a tennis match but i think here i think it's got that sort of you know right balance between you know that almost kind of using this as a transition to get back you know to a you know a tour a tour level um you know a tour level fitness um and yeah i just i just i'm almost at this point where i think i just like to see this sort of thing continue this this idea of the battle of the brits I'm almost kind of surprised it hasn't been done or, or talked about before. And, you know, I'm kind of almost glad that, you know, we've had this opportunity to really kind of showcase what like the best um, of kind of British tennis, I guess, has to offer um, and really kind of shows you that, the you know, there's, there is strength in depth there. And, and as you said, it's kind of showing us all the kind of best players. It's giving us some matchups we've never seen before. And it's also giving us um, an eye in um, on potential uh, talent for the future. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, for a lot of people in, in the UK, you know, they might just be kind of casual tennis fans and only really know Andy Murray. So if they've been tuning in, for example, they would they would learn that there's a lot more, you know, depth, as you said, to British tennis. And we should just say that they are doing a women's version of, of this kind of tournament, um, the Progress Tour, which is going to happen in July. 
um, over five days. So there is um, going to be uh, a women's equivalent with um, you know British female players, 16 singles players and also a doubles event. Um, so that is going to be taking place. I think Katie Balter is going to be like the highest ranked player there. They're not, um, you know, Joe Conter's not involved, Heather Watson isn't there but you know I don't know I don't know if that's going to be on prime I don't know what the tv coverage is going to be for that one but I'm I'm hoping it's going to be given the same platform as what we've seen this week um because you know it wouldn't be fair for them not to have the same coverage um because again you know there's so many players um that we have that we should like be proud of and make make more of so um and just a note on on battle of the brits as well obviously jamie murray organized it. he he won the doubles uh competition yesterday with with neil skupski so um they came through a bit of a weird final against dan evans and lloyd glasspool they lost the first set to love and then came back and won it on a match tie break as you do but um, <laughs> i think the funniest thing with that was at the end of like um the group stages they didn't know like if they had managed to kind of qualify to get through to the semi so they were sort of working out on their phones because i don't know we get that don't we with the round robin format it can be a bit complicated sometimes to work it yeah, out it always comes down to like games played or yeah. you know games conceded yeah. and it's just really funny yeah to see them both on their both on their phones trying to to figure it out but uh i also find it hilarious like jamie murray set up this set up this event and he, he's like presenting the trophy to himself in a weird sort of <laughs> yeah. also i think one thing i have enjoyed is um when they've been doing the interviews with the players at the change events and also with their coaches because you know ordinarily we would never get to interview a player uh you know halfway through a match and i i know this is kind of exhibition slash competitive um but it, it's quite interesting just to kind of I guess, see into their kind of thought processes um, and their kind of observations as the match is going on. And obviously they can't sort of be too detailed and they're only given like, you know, a short opportunity, I guess, to kind of um, touch base with them at the change events. But I think that's quite a interesting thing. It's not something that's obviously going to happen on the real tour, but it's it's been quite a useful addition, I think, this week. I love how the coaches have also kind of had to act as ball, ball boys yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I think it's I think it's yeah it's interesting and it'll be again it will be interesting to see what the role of you know ball boys ball girls are in you know in the future and whether you know we will get to a point where players have uh you know their towels they have to you know pick them up themselves or whether they have to kind of collect the balls you know at the at the net themselves or or, or whatever so um it's I think it's given us a little bit of a taster into kind of what new normal tennis will look like and you know i'm really as i said i'm really kind of happy the the event took place and um you know to see it on amazon prime as well it's just kind of good you know to see tennis back on tv and i thought it was kind of very well it was very well executed and you know kudos to to jamie murray because i think it's like you put yourself in that position you you know in a similar to sort of a, a novak Djokovic, which we'll get onto in a minute but you know you do put yourself in a, in a little bit of a vulnerable position there because if it if it doesn't if it doesn't go off without a hitch, you're you could be the one that comes in for the you know the criticism, and um, you know it, it, that has to be you know factored in because this is again this is something that is this is something that's completely new. It still has a lot of unknowns, and until you get to the the event itself. Um, so yeah, I'm just kind of really I'm just really glad it's all kind of it's all kind of worked out, and uh, you know, Andy Murray fans will be happy. Dan Evans fans will be happy. Carl Evans fans will be happy um, because, yeah, as I said, I think for me, Evans and Edmund, they have, 
I think they've really actually shown that they've, they've, they've p- they're picking up where they left off. You know, Carl Edmund, you know, won in um, New York. Uh, Dan Evans was, you know, making inroads on, you know, uh, Top thirty, you know, t- top thirty ranking, and it just shows you that they've 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 um, they're not resting on their laurels and they're they're picking up uh, where they left off. Exactly, and hopefully they'll uh, you know as we're recording this, so they're kind of just warming up and about to start. So hopefully they'll provide a very entertaining final, and as soon as we finish recording, we'll be glued to the TV, no doubt. Um, who you oh, go? Who before we oh, move on, Kim? Who you go for? Dan I'll Evans Dan or Evans. Carl Evans? Yeah, Dan Evans. In three? In two? Um, yeah, it could be a match tiebreak. I, I feel like he's going to edge it with two tight sets. So, But hey, our predictions are known for being terrible. <laughs> so uh, who are you going for? Uh, uh, I think I'm going to go... I think I'm going to go Carl Edmund oh. in... I think Carl Edmund in a tight two, like a 7-6, seven, 7-5 seven, mm. situation, maybe. We will see. We will see. We will see. Um, but yes. But I was just going to say, you know, it's yeah, really glad that Jamie Murray has pulled this one out of the bag because obviously another player who organised a uh, tournament has not been so fortunate, I suppose. Um, and I suppose uh, we should get onto this because it's kind of the elephant in the room if we don't mention it. The Adria Cup um, or the Adria Cup. I don't really know how to pronounce that. Apologies if I'm saying it completely the wrong way. I think um, that's the, the least of the, the worries <laughs> of the moment. Yeah, I don't Kim. think that really matters, does it? <laughs> but as we saw that, you know, this this sort of tour through the Balkans was organised by Novak Djokovic and they were going to do a weekend in kind of each country. So it was Belgrade to start with uh, and then Zadar in Croatia, Third weekend was supposed to be Montenegro. Fourth weekend, um, oh, I don't know where the fourth weekend was, but it's not happening anymore, so I suppose it doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, and this was to feature a whole host of players, you know, Grigor Dimitrov, uh, Borna Koric, you know, Novak, Viktor Troitsky, um, Marin Cilic, I think, was there for a bit, wasn't he? Um, Yelena Yankovic. Yelena Yankovic, yeah, she turned up from, I don't know where she's been for the last, two years but it was nice to see her for a bit um and I guess it all kind of the tennis itself seemed to be fine I didn't I have to confess I didn't really watch an awful lot of it but I suppose what we're really going to be talking about was is the um the shenanigans uh, around it either. the main thing being that it was a tournament put together you know because of the coronavirus outbreak yet seemingly made no reference to that the fact that there's still a pandemic going on all around the world um, and they had everyone just not socially distancing. The players were hugging. There were fans sitting next to each other in the crowds. They were they had a kids' day with kids swarming around, um, and it just seemed like the height of irresponsibility to to put on such a a show in in light of what's going on in the world. Yeah, because the, the, the situation we find ourselves in at the moment: Dimitrov positive, Chorich positive. Djokovic positive, Troitsky positive, even Nisevich uh, positive. It's it's you know it's not um, in the words of Andy Murray. It's not it is not a good look. And um, you know I think uh, I think the way I'd kind of almost kind of describe it is I think this was a tournament that you know it had it had good intentions, um, but it felt like this was this was a feeling of like how tennis. Um, Tennis being played in the old normal, which you know would have been fine, being played in a situation where it was you know no longer fine, and uh, you know uh, it just it it just really snowballed, didn't it? And I think 
it's all got to a point now where it's like who's you know who's the blame to, to fall on because you know, some people are pointing it to Djokovic, some people are pointing it to, to Grigor Dimitrov, but it, it feels like kind of anyone who's really been associated with this event has, uh, you know, has had their credibility has had their credibility knocked. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that obviously Djokovic, you know, put this tournament together with the best of intentions, you know, as he came out and said, I'm, I'm pretty sure obviously he didn't want anyone to get the virus and he didn't. No. He, I don't think he's he's fully understood maybe the, the actual um, seriousness of the situation before now and until now. And obviously in Serbia, the number of infections that they had and the, the number of cases and, and deaths have, have been a lot lower than, you know, what we've seen in the UK, for example. So, and you know, there's a whole sort of variety of reasons for that, you know, political responses, etc. But perhaps, you know, when you're in a country and it hasn't been so um, devastating, uh, you know, I don't want to sort of make light of anyone dying or anything, but like maybe he didn't understand how serious it was and he didn't therefore pay sufficient attention to the measures that need to be in place. Um, I know a lot of people were saying that, oh, you know, Serbian public health guidelines, you know, this is all fine. Like they didn't, they weren't being told to to kind of have the social distancing in place. But I, I don't know if that's the case. I've, I've heard conflicting uh, information saying that actually the authorities would, were still advising that they should have distancing. And other people have said that they, they weren't. So I, I don't want to sort of pass judgment on that, really. But um, I think the the number one thing for me that was completely irresponsible was that that nightclub where all the players went off to that nightclub and were, you know, that's nothing to do with tennis. They didn't need to do that at all. Um, so I think that was a slightly arrogant maneuver. Um, but I boneheaded. Don't wanna... boneheaded according to Nick Kyrgios. Yeah. Um, and it was just, yeah, it just, yeah, it just didn't look good. Um, and I don't want to have a go at Djokovic or anything. I know a lot of, you know, he, he takes a lot of flack from a lot of people and, you know, for his various views on things and, you know, I'm sure he's learned his lesson and he certainly won't be, um, putting together something, um, without, much more detailed thought, I suppose, in future. And, you know, I don't want to have a sort of go at him or anything. Um, but I think, I don't even know if they were testing the players, you know, throughout the the week weeks that they were sort of playing because, you know, Grigor Dimitrov came out and said that he, he arrived in Belgrade and he'd been isolating for like three months beforehand, arrived in Belgrade, wasn't tested, um, arrived in Zadar the week after, wasn't tested. So surely... I don't know, surely they should have been, like we've been seeing with Premier League footballers, you know, they've been getting regular testing. Surely that should have been in place um, as well throughout throughout this event. And I do, and, and that kind of raises an important issue for me. And I, I do wonder, you know, with specifically with exhibition events, whether, you know, in this new normal post-COVID world, do they need some sort of ruling, governing body to kind of make sure that, you know, some sort of, you know, rules are, are followed. Um, because it feels like, you know, at the moment they've almost got this, they've got the control and they can do whatever they want. But, you know, it, it, as a result of that, it doesn't feel like they've got uh, like absolutely everything, like almost like everything under control. And I think it's, you know, I think with these sorts of exhibition events, it's kind of like, Yes, you've got to be aware of, you know, what the obviously the the government rulings are, but I think you also have, uh, you know, you always have to have some sort of rules in place for, you know, for tennis specifically. I completely agree with that. I think that's a great idea because 
you, you know, it's such a global sport at the best, you know, at the best of times that it's one of its kind of, you know, principles really is that it's such a global sport and everyone's kind of traveling all over the place. So it's impossible to kind of just say, oh yeah, well, it's happening in Serbia where number of COVID cases are, you know, much lower than other places. But that's, if you're having players coming in from other countries, then it's deter you know it's dependent on what's going on in the rest of the world so yeah i think if you had a a neutral kind of organizing public health within tennis body whether that could be the itf who just kind of puts together a group um like a specialist group to kind of I'd, coordinate I'd love these to see, i'd love to see that actually like a post a post covid tournament tournament working group just to make sure i don't know like these sorts of events are are run in the right way or at least they get help and support to be like uh you you can do that you can do that but you can't like you can't do that for example i think Um, also that would you know one of the things coming out you know when they all started announcing that they tested positive i think a lot of the players like didn't really realize that i don't know i felt like that their some of their attitude was like i'm a bit above the law you know i'm a young professional sports person i'm probably you know one of the last people that would ever suffer from covid so i think there was a certain amount of it's someone else's problem and i think they've maybe realized now that they've tested positive and you know i think most of them don't have any symptoms but um hopefully it's given them a bit of a kick up the bum and a, and also it's a big lesson to everyone else you know putting on all these other events that hang on you know it's still out there we we have got to take it seriously. And a lot of the top golfers um, on the PGA Tour, they, you know, they've been playing the last couple of weekends and quite a few of them had tested positive or their their caddies or whoever had, had tested positive. And a lot of them, you know, have said, well, I'm going to be extra, you know, cautious and take myself out. Um, even though I've tested negative, I'm going to isolate. I'm not going to play this week. And I think that's the sort of attitude we need to be seeing um, from tennis as well, like to take it as serious as you can. Yeah, it's in a weird sort of way. I'm almost kind of glad this sort of thing has happened now because it. I think it almost gives you a blueprint on how not to run a, a tennis tournament. Um, I'd like to think the Battle of Brits has given a blueprint of how to, you know, how to run an exhibition. Whereas this maybe is a bit like this is what this is like what not to do. Um, the other thing I would kind of raise, I think it's really important to note is I think there's also a big piece coming out of this around play, like player education, um, like just to make them fully aware of like covid uh particularly because i think you know tennis is so multicultural of a sport that i think you know there's a job to be done by i don't know the relevant governing bodies just to make sure that everyone knows all of you know the threat is real the threat is serious this is what you can do to you know to, to minimize you know potentially you getting it um because uh, you know uh, i think this has kind of shown me is as yeah like tennis players they might they might be really good on a tennis court, but you know when it comes to something like this, which again has uh, a lot of unknowns, maybe there needs to be a role done around kind of um, you know educating around you know what is you know what to do in the new normal because um, you, you know it it felt like you know common sense things were not you know were not adhered to, and I don't think you can fall back onto well the government said. Um, well, the government said we can, um, you know, run this, so it's fine. I think it's, you know, these, the, you know, you ha- there, there are a new set of norms that, 
you know events are going to have to follow and um it felt like they were you know almost like playing to the to the old norms yeah i think also we have this expectation that you know top sports people should be like the best role models and that because they're like amazing on court that therefore we expect them to be holier than now in every aspect of their life which as we've seen from all sorts of sports and you know famous athletes like they mess up just like you know the best of us and we shouldn't hold them necessarily to a higher standard but they do have to understand that they are in a very prominent public position and therefore they should expect you know a certain amount of criticism to be leveled at them when things like this happen um obviously you know um also in terms of the government montenegro actually cancelled their leg of this tour as soon as they saw what was going on the first weekend in belgrade so um they'd already sort of thought hang on we're not having that happening in our country um i mean there's also a whole set of kind of i don't know cultural political uh things going on here i mean djokovic's father was kind of <laughs> yep like I'm not going to go into all this, but there's a whole like you know a lot of conflict in that area of the world. So I think you know some people were trying to use that to have a dig at certain other people. But I mean, let's you know this is obviously they called off the final of the second weekend. It's it's not carrying on. They're all basically isolating now, except for Dominic Team, who's flying back and forth to carry on playing um, in about a million different places. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it, I think like yeah, it's yeah, it's it's. I guess it's a it, it is a it is a tricky one, and I think with you know uh, particularly with Djokovic and Dimitrov, I'm going to enjoy when 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 the tour is back and there is a inevitably a Djokovic versus Dimitrov tennis match. I wanna I wanna see what the handshake is like. Or oh, sorry, the the not the handshake, the, the tennis tap. Yeah, sorry. At the at the end of the match, I'm interested to see that because I think that it feels like that relationship or that friendship has has soured. And I think that's you know that's gonna be one of the the, the takeouts of it is that I think reputa- players' reputations amongst other players has probably taken a hit. Um, and I think also players' reputations amongst you know amongst fans has taken a hit. Now, you know when fans do come back, whether you know we would audibly see that. I don't. I don't know. For example, you know, would Djokovic get booed? I, I you know on his way. You know, on his in, in when the, a crowd is is a free because of, of of this event he set up. But I don't. I don't think that is. I don't think that is the case. And I don't want that to be the case. I just want this to be. You know, this is this is lesson learned. You know, it was a it's a hard lesson to learn, but I'm glad because of all the fallout. But I think it's a good, you know, in in hindsight, it will be a good lesson, you know, for tennis to follow. And I think it shows, you know, we're not talk we're not talking about the tennis with this event. We're not talking about the matches. And I think almost that's the best outcome. We're talking about how we can make tennis, you know, healthy and safe. And, and put it on safely, you know, in a post-COVID world. And I think that's a really important conversation that, you know, we all need to have, um, you know, at the moment. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, we, there have been some other exhibitions that have been going on, um, Joel, which, you know, haven't caused consternation for their like public health measures or lack of measures. But what, what let's move on now to, to UTS, the ultimate tennis yes. showdown um i don't know what to make of this one I, I think this is controversial for a completely different reason um <laughs> i mean it's just 
baffling. Um, it's been styled as tennis's answer to 2020 cricket. Um, it's it's devised, you know, by Patrick Moratugali. Um, so it's down in the south of France at the academy that he owns and runs. And it's uh, been going on for the last couple of weeks. There's still a few more weekends of it, of it to, uh, you know, they're all playing for. But I don't know where to start. I mean, all I can say is that the rules are so confusing. I haven't really sort of wanted to like look into them because it's the first sort of look I had at it. I was like, what on earth is going on? Kim, this is Indian Premier Tennis League 2.0. <laughs> um, yeah, it just looks it looks baffling. Um, I, I saw a graphic on on Twitter of like the the scorecard, and it made it feel like a made it feel like a basketball match. Um, the the format is uh, so. Well, let me just read. Let me just read to you the the, the format uh, and to our listeners as well. UTS matches will last for a maximum of one hour, so it's timed, and will be divided into four quarters of ten minutes each. All played in the style of a tie break, with players taking it it in turns to serve two points in a row. So it's a it's a point by point thing. So it's like one, two, three. None of this fifteen love business it sounds a bit um, like badminton there because don't they have like a couple of serves and then it goes to the other player i don't know i i always found badminton scoring quite complex <laughs> but yeah it's 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 interesting yeah it's a point by point thing and it's a it's a it's a timed it's a timed event i mean i mean it's quite a i think it's quite a bonkers way to you know put like a tight time on it it's like what do they need to get off the tennis court? <laughs> you know, within... they got somewhere better to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's probably more to do with you know match fit. It's just another way of kind of breaking match fitness. You know, limiting it to you know limiting it to um to sixty minutes. Um, but yeah, we've had uh you know as you said Dominic teams there. Dunk Sissipas uh, is there as well. Uh, David Goffan, Richard Gasquet, Feliciano Lopez. Uh, yeah, I think it's just it's. Obviously, there are some rules here that some people, traditionalists, are probably going to be like, "That will, you know, that will never, that will never catch on." Well, Rafa certainly won't like the uh, time limit of just fifteen seconds between <laughs> points rule. No, um, so that one won't make it onto the tour. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, <laughs> the bit that really okay, I, I get this sort of making it short thing. I mean, I think that's obviously why we brought in um, like match tie breaks in in doubles, for example, to kind of stop the matches kind of going on and on and on I totally understand that um the thing that really kind of oh, I don't know pissed me off a bit was this idea of of having each player can have the chance to use two UTS cards in each quarter um one of them gives them three serves on one point um one of them can make the opponent take only one serve on a point and or win two points, or one of the cars allows you to win two points if you hit a clean winner. I mean, that's like Monopoly uh, I, I, or some kind of board game, which I love board games, but I don't really want them combined. <laughs> Is it a physical card? Is it a physical card you could just like show your opponent like a like a yellow card for a referee in football? I don't know, but interestingly, I, I, know. I, did, I did make a tennis Monopoly board about 11 years ago, which I've still got at home somewhere. Um, and I did like little home and away cards that you had to pick up. So Patrick Moratoglu has obviously been, uh, I don't know, st he's stolen my idea somewhat. But yeah, I never intended that to be used for the actual tennis. Um, oh, do you know what? Yeah, like I haven't really watched any of this. I saw like a brief bit on Eurosport, but it's just, it's just not tennis in my view for me. I mean, I, 
and and also one thing like Patrick Moratoglu has said that you know this is aimed to appeal at a younger audience like a new generation of tennis fans because he said that the average age of a tennis fan is 61 years apparently um which would you agree with that I think I know an awful lot of young tennis fans um who are fine with the rules just as they are but there we go I don't know whether he was saying that for like dramatic effect because yeah it doesn't it feels like um you know i i do think like you know there is a little maybe there is a little bit of an age bias but i don't think it's that extreme um and yeah oh my let's let's be real i think this is just a bit of fun i'm hoping this is just a bit of fun in games and you know it's just a way for for players to feel their way back onto a tennis court in a new um, and different format that can, you know, ensure that they get match practice, like guaranteed match practice in. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't, th- you know, I think it's, I think it's great. Um, we're seeing these sorts of events, but um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm. Let's get. Jury's out. I think it's just, let's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, jury's out. Actually, it, listeners, have you have you been watching any of, any of the uh, the ultimate tennis showdown? Let us know what what you think of it. Do you think it's got legs? Do you think it's absolutely uh, bizarre and should be destined for the bin? Who knows? Just yeah, let us let us know <laughs> on uh, let us know on our, our social channels at Passing Shot Pod. Um, and then just to wrap up the other events, we've had in Charleston, the Credit One Bank International, which um, is sort of a female uh, event with mostly American players. Um, got Team Peace versus Team Kindness uh, with Bethany Massick Sands and Madison Keys. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's very positive, isn't it? Um, yeah, Massick Sands and Madison Keys. Battle of uh, the Brits was like, what, Group Hedman and Group Rosetsky, but in America, <laughs> they just go out with like abstract verbs for for team names but okay. yeah well there you go but um that's been going on out in charleston again they've been kind of playing with the rules uh each match win has a value of one point but every two days increases to augment pressure and drama um by the time the weekend arrives so i haven't really watched much of this um because it's out in the states i've not really been you know, focusing or kind of paying too much attention on this. But, you know, I think they've been doing it safely and with adequate measures in place. So it's it's great that they're managing to get back onto the court. And then we've also got World Team Tennis. World Team Tennis, I can't speak, Joel, um, coming up on the 12th of July. And this is going to be a bit different. So um, they're going to have nine teams and they're all going to be housed at this luxury resort in West Virginia for three weeks, um, which... Well, it sounds quite nice, to be honest with you. It's got um, <laughs> lovely grounds to walk around on horseback riding, a gym, obviously the tennis. Um, yeah, it sounds very, very nice and like retreat-like. So, you know. Well, Kim, I'm reading this. You uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. It's saying play in front of up to 500 fans at a time. Hmm. So I they all like have fans. Could be... That could be a bit dodgy. Mm, that could be okay. I mean, that could be. Uh, we could be talking. Is World Team Tennis going to be? Oh, I hope not. But it feels that could be. I feel like it. I, I still feel like at the moment it's it's too early for fans. I think, yeah, yeah. I think that's what the takeout from you know the the, the Adria Cup. So I'd be interested to, to see how that happens and whether they've learned any lessons from the Adria Cup. But let's let's wait and see. I love that there's tennis back again, but I, I just hope it's you know follows new norms instead of instead of old norms okay we are back and 
as always, Kim, I'm excited uh, because we're coming on to our, our favorite, one of our favorite uh, sections of the catch up pod, the mystery player. Uh, who am I? Can you guess? Can you guess the player from the set of clues I am about to give you? Oh, I'm so excited. We haven't done this in ages, Joel. I'm, <laughs> no, I I'm, no, I'm thrilled. I <laughs> I'm sure our listeners are as thrilled as us as well. <laughs> right. What have you got for me uh, then? <laughs> okay. Right. Are you ready? Are you ready for your set of clues? Yep. Yeah, go, go for it. I was born on August 10th, 1973. Oh, okay. So they're sort of 47 almost. So they'll be 47 this year. Okay. Yep. Next one. I turned pro in 1989. Uh, Right. So they turned pro when they were like 16. So they're probably retired. Well, they should be retired. (laughs) Okay. Um, Next clue. I think that's not enough to go (laughs) on right now. (laughs) Okay. I retired in 2015. Oh, that's quite recent. So, uh, five quite years long, ago. Long career. So when they retired, they would have... Oh, they would have been about 42 when they retired. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My career high singles ranking was number 15, which I achieved in October 1997. Hmm... I've got an inkling, Joel, about who it could be. Oh, who, who are you yeah, thinking? I feel like you don't want me to get it so soon. <laughs> are you going to well, say Pauline Parmentier? No, she's definitely not 47. <laughs> well, no, it's just um, this person, when, when, like, okay, this person was about 42 when they retired, and I'm sure that the person I'm thinking of was that age. <sighs> Because I saw her play at Wimbledon against Venus Williams in that really long match. Kamiko Date Crum, Crum. Oh, she was she Kim. was forty when she sort of retired. I think you're completely wrong. Oh, okay, you're completely wrong. <laughs> okay, fine. Carry okay. on. <laughs> right, next clue. Um, I reached the quarterfinals in singles at the 2004 Australian Open as well as the 2000 Wimbledon Championships quarterfinals in singles is it mario ancic no incorrect i like i like it but incorrect Uh, um the next mm. set of clues will give you a bit more of a a steer (laughs) next one please (laughs) okay i have won the career grand slam in doubles ah leander pays Oh, very good guess, but <laughs> but incorrect. But Daniel Nestor, incorrect. Um, Again, another good Radek guess. Radek Stepanek. No, no, he might no, be younger wrong. than that. Um, okay. okay, next. I have eleven Grand Slam titles to my name, six in women's doubles oh. and five in mixed doubles. Cara Black. Oh, she's still oh that is a that is a great shout. Liesl Hoover. Also, <laughs> both complete both completely wrong. Is it um oh my gosh. Um 
Um, I've got some really good. I've got a few more clues for you, and a really good fact. A really good fact for our listeners as well. With the the next clue, Jill Crabass. Did she win many oh, times? She's a good. It's a good guess. Uh, Lisa Crabass. Raymond. It is Lisa Raymond. Is it? <laughs> Correct. It is Lisa Raymond. Um, my next clue. My next clue was going to be, and I think this is a really great fact uh, for our listeners. I am the oldest woman ever to win a Grand Slam women's doubles title, age 38, with Liesl Huber at the 2011 US Open. Ah, well, I think I would have um, got her eventually. I'm sure she played doubles with Laura Robson like a few times when well, obviously she, Laura was she, much younger, but I'm sure they paired up a bit. She also won a bronze medal at the 2012 London Olympics in ladies doubles. Um yeah, very a very very handy ladies doubles player. Um, and uh, yeah, I know you love a bit of doubles. So uh, yeah, Lisa Raymond, listeners, let us know. Did you did you get your answer before Kim did, or were you or were you uh, were you were you still struggling as much as Kim? Let us let us know. Yeah. So Joel, thanks for testing my my tennis brain on that one. I have to say, yeah, I don't think it, I think if I wasn't so into doubles, I would have found that incredibly hard. But um, we've got a few questions from listeners now in a kind of new section, passing shot mailbag. Um, some of you lovely lot have been in touch. So um, let's let's crack open this uh, this nest of questions. Um, we've got one from I don't know how to say this. I'm really sorry if I get this wrong. Um, at Juana Writer. I'm trying to say it with a bit of a Spanish Spanish tang there. Um, but it, it could very well be Juana. Um, so maybe you'll have to let us know how to say your name. Um, she's asked us, what is your respective tennis background slash passion for tennis? And how did you meet? So, Joe, how did we meet? It was a, a long time ago when now. I, do you know, when I read this originally, I wondered whether, like, do people think we are, like, in a relationship? Or do people think we are boyfriend-girlfriend? I just want to put that to bed. We are not boyfriend-girlfriend. <laughs> We're not brother-sister. We just love tennis, and we met. Where did we meet? I think it was at the World Tour Finals. Through <laughs> a mutual friend who is probably sick of us um, by now. No, only joking. Um we love her dearly. But um, yeah, no, we met a long time ago. And then you came up with this sort of wacky idea of starting a podcast many years later. I know. And I got on board I somehow. Know. So there we go. And yeah, yeah, um, but, yeah, a passion for tennis. I have to say, for me, it was, I, you know, I watched Wimbledon like every year, kind of as you do in, in the UK when it's on. And then I think pretty much as soon as I saw Rafa, I was like, oh, tennis exists outside of of these two weeks of the year. So I started following Rafa and then from that I just started following all tennis and yeah, just developed a massive interest in the game. And my Rafael Nadal equivalent person growing up was Tim Edmund. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I just remember <laughs> I just remember growing up, always watching Tim Edmund at Wimbledon. My mum took me to see him uh, against Leighton Hewitt in a Queen's final when it was the Stella Artois Championship and it was all like red branding. And uh, yeah, I, I, I fell in love with watching, watching tennis and I just wanted to know as much about it and went from i guess following like the grass court season to uh yeah to the whole to the whole tour and um, uh, yeah now you, you've been around and done all the slams haven't you now joel so uh, yeah career grand got, uh, career fan slam off the list yeah i <laughs> mean <laughs> <laughs> we were going to do the us open this year weren't we so yeah, that's uh, oh, next, maybe next year 
Yeah, hopefully. With expectation. Um, well, crossed. yeah, let's <laughs> let's make it work. Hey. Um <laughs> right, next question. Yeah, we had um at Shallot C get in touch asking us um when a country has eased all lockdown and social distancing measures, should people continue with the measures? No, I assume um, Charlotte C means like within the context of tennis. Um, so, I mean, I'm not an epidemiologist or a public health expert, but I would say if the COVID, if COVID still exists somewhere in the world, then yes, we should continue with the measures um, until there is, I don't know, possibly a vaccine or it's kind of so minimal that... Um, I don't know, it's lost its contagiousness. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think it's always better to be safer than sorry. And I mean, I would love to see like fans being able to come back to tennis events personally. But obviously, I think, yeah, you'd have to continue within guidelines and be sensible with this. Yeah, I think it's like, yeah, health and safety above all. And I'd like to think we've learned, I'd like to think anyway, we've learned that there are new, as I said, there are new norms now. And regardless of, you know, if a country brings in rules or, or relaxes them, I'd like to think the constant is, as I said, these new norms that are, that are being brought in and that we should be almost kind of adhering to these new norms, like without, um, you know, without having it to be like, I guess, enforced by, uh, you know, the government or, or whoever. So I think, I think, I think, yes, people should continue. For me personally, people should continue with the measures regardless of, you know, what their, you know, what their country is doing. And also they say, like, I know it varies from person to person, but it takes, I don't know, two to three months for things to become like a habit. So you don't even think about doing them. So in a way, I guess it would be helpful if everyone in society could just, you know, make wearing a mask something you don't even like think about, um, you know, while this is going on, it becomes second nature. And then you don't sort of think, oh, it's an inconvenience or like we're not sort of lamenting what what was um but that's yeah we could we could debate this at length uh you know <laughs> like later on but um yeah that's a great question yes uh, and final question uh, was from peter fryer who got in contact with the show and asked us if there is no tennis this season will the atp finals stay in london one more year question mark Oh, well, um, what do you think, Joel? <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's, a, that's framed, obviously, a yes, no question. Obviously, I would, you know, I, I live in London. I would love for the ATP finals to stay one more year. I have no idea what the, what the plans are at the moment, um, you know, at the, at the O2 arena. But, uh, you know, I feel like this might be just a good person. It might just be a good time to just kind of move on. Um, you know, if we're, if it is kind of, if it is cancelled, I don't think it's going to be. Um, I think it should just go to, uh, I think, was it Turin or? Uh, Turin, I think it was, yeah. Italy have got that and the next gen, haven't they? That They'll have both. But what I would what I would say is I think what Battle of the Brits has done is shown that we could run like an eight, you know, a contained eight player tournament. And, you know, if the World Tour Finals, you know, remains an eight-player tournament, you know, I certainly don't think, you know, tennis in the UK has done any, has done themselves any harm with, you know, the, like the exhibitions they, you know, they, 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 they have put on and they will put, you know, put on with, I hope with the, the Progress Tour. So I certainly think, you know, 
there might be that sort of calming factor of hey we've done this before we know what we're doing and we can you know we could do it again with the the world tour finals yeah i think that's a great point um we could certainly do like battle of the brits but like massively kind of dramatized at the o2 with no fans but it's always dark in there anyway so you can't see half the fans at the best of times so I don't see why it couldn't go ahead this year. I mean, I don't, they haven't released the calendar um, for like that time of the year yet. So it, it could well do. But I think I would love to see it, you know, stay in London personally, but that's completely selfish on my part. Um, and I think contractually, Turin expect to have it from next year. So I don't think they would they would change that personally. But no, very good question again. And thanks to everyone for getting kind of involved. We're looking forward to kind of more questions being thrown our way. So do get in touch with us um, at Passing Shot Pod on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We would love to to answer more of your questions. Okay, let's move on uh, back into the tennis world because we, of course, Kim, need to talk about the US Open, which is the first Grand Slam that is penciled in uh, to happen in this new normal. Um, They have come out recently with um, a bit of a statement, a bit of a lay down in terms of how they see the tournament running. And this has caused a few kind of big debates. Um, I would say perhaps the biggest controversies have been around the fact that there's been no qualif they've they've got no qualifying there's been no uh they're going to do no mixed doubles originally there was going to be no wheelchair tennis as well um so you know i think the the us open have come out and you know they they've kind of given us an idea an indication of of how they see tennis as running and it's it has caused a bit of a it has caused a bit of a, a stir hasn't it kim it has, yeah. I don't think it was handled very well. Um, I mean, I'm happy that there's going to be a slam um, and that they've come to some kind of decision because I know there was a lot of ramifications about whether it would possibly go to Indian Wells um, and be played over there or in another venue. Um, I think what's happened in California, there was another spike or they've been like much stricter um, with their measures. So, okay, it's going to be in New York at Flushing Meadows as as normal. Um, the way they went about it, though, they, you know, they've chopped off the mixed doubles. They just completely ignored the fact that wheelchair tennis exists. And they, you know, made this a statement about what they were going to be doing and, and failed to even have any conversations with the wheelchair players. So, like, really, um, really a massive lack of oversight there. And, and you know, a lot of the, like, like Dylan Alcott, you know, for example, you know, said that this is just like, disgusting discrimination as he put it and I have to say like it does stink of that when you're not even going to consider you know the wheelchair players when you're coming to you know decision making about the tournament um they've now done a u-turn on that which is good to to hear obviously and I think they're kind of going to stage it and the the last weekend of of the tournament so they've put that you know to rights um a bit but obviously it doesn't look good, does it, that they, you know, didn't think of them to start with. Um, a lot of the doubles players are sort of not so happy. Obviously, mixed doubles not on the list. And they've chopped the men's and women's doubles draws in half. So there's an awful lot of players who won't be getting the income from from the slam that they, you know, would have normally got and would be relying upon and, and would really need. I just want to jump in there because I think what's interesting is I think um, from what it sounds like the the reason they've chopped the draws or, or made cuts um, you know where they can is to allow um, other people to be on site 
Um, so I think, you know, if you are in the singles competition, you can have, I think, like three other people uh, join you. And, you know, this has, again, created some debate, particularly with lower ranked players who, you know, feel like they're almost kind of accommodating to, you know, all the big names who can have, you know, a team of, of three on site with them um, at the expense of actually allowing lower ranked players into the draw um, to, you know, almost kind of start making start making a living again from from playing tennis. Um, and I think that's probably one of the, the biggest sort of, uh, you know, focal points, particularly for me around, you know, what, you know, what is what is tennis doing to kind of um, help, you know, with, um, you know, lower ranked players? You know, we saw the, you know, the, the player, the player relief fund set up and that's that's great. But, you know, when you talk about kind of, you know, shrinking, shrinking draws um, to accommodate extra guests um, and, you know, it, it, if people put those together and, and relate the two, yeah, it, it, I think it does generate the question on does it, does it, favor the, the the top players who can you know afford to have a coach um a, a physiotherapist um a trainer or whoever um so yeah i think there's a lot of there's certainly a lot of uh debate and i'm sure there's going to be more more fallout more fallout to come yeah i think we'll have to see because there's still room for them to guess i guess change some of these decisions um because i think originally they said that you'd only be able to bring one other person full stop and they've had to relax that because a lot of the top players said you know i'm not i'm definitely can't go if i can only bring one person from my entourage so i think they've made that like three people um but i think potentially you might only be able to have one person actually physically on the site and the other two would have to stay back at like the hotel um the other thing is, you know, they're going to be testing players when they arrive and also once a week, um, like doing the nasal swabs, um, which, you know, has got to happen. You've got to test them regularly. Um, but I think a lot of the players are a bit sort of thinking, well, if I test positive, you know, automatically I've got to isolate. I have to remove myself from the tournament and then I would have to stay there until I test negative again. And I think a lot of players were kind of just didn't like the idea of being holed up in like a hotel near the airport um, for, you know, possibly like a month or, you know, several weeks should they test positive. And I don't know. I mean, if this is their job, this is their career, this is their livelihood, they've, you know, they've got to start playing tennis at some point. Um, and the top players, you know, they're in the luxurious position of being able to decide whether or not they feel like they want to with these measures in place. But a lot of players don't have the choice. They've got to do it and they've got to abide by the rules. And sadly, some players aren't even going to be given the chance to be there. You know, um, they've got rid of the qualifying as well. So all those players who would normally be entering like the qualifying tournament and getting some prize money from that. Um, yeah, it just it kind of I just feel like it's going to widen the gap, you know, between the top and the lower ranked players. And obviously, especially in light of COVID, we need to be narrowing that. Um, so we'll have to see how it pans out, won't we, Joel? Um, and we'll hopefully be focusing on this a bit more in, in one of our um, upcoming pods um, to kind of get into the nitty gritty of this. Yes, because I think again the biggest I think the biggest question will be who who actually plays it. Um, and I feel like the most the biggest name up in the air at the moment is probably Rafael Nadal because he's the defending champion. But you know the French Open is scheduled to be I think in you know three weeks after or whatever. You know, will he? It doesn't sound like he's fully committed to to going to defend his title. So. You know, we'll we'll have to wait and see. Uh, on the other hand, Serena Williams has installed a, a U.S. Open 
court surface in her home as you do I love that I love that you could do that by the way um, <laughs> I think it's great I mean <laughs> I know it's all about you know how like okay she's a top player she could obviously like just build a US Open court in her back garden <laughs> but it is kind of funny I suppose if you look at it yeah, so she she's in, definitely announced her intentions to be there. Andy Murray has also announced his intentions to be there. We know that Federer is off now. Um, I think he's had you know he's had surgery. He's not going to be back until uh, you know later or uh, Next year, a later. Yeah, to be decided. So uh, so we shall see. But um, yeah, we'll just kind of end on the the kind of the tour in general because you know the ATP and WTA have come together and kind of given us an idea of what the you know the next few months look like and you know. People ask us, you know, when is live tennis going to be back on the tour with ATP points and rankings and all that stuff? Well, the City Open is scheduled to start at the moment, 14th of August in Washington, D.C. And then we're going to have um, the Cincinnati Masters played as almost kind of as a, a tune-up event at Flushing Meadows on the 22nd of August, U.S. Open. And then there's going to be a little bit of a, a clay court swing uh, in Europe with uh, Kitzbühel, Madrid, Rome, and then followed up by Paris at the end of September. Um, so that's for the that's for the men, and uh, I think it's kind of it's similar for the for the ladies. Um, they're going to have a starting event on the third of August um, in Palermo, and um, same sort of build up um, with a European kind of clay swing in the middle. Um, yeah, it will be interesting to see, you know, will those, it sounds like those events are going to go ahead. How will they go, go ahead? Um, I hope we don't get into situations where these have to be abandoned midway through because someone tests is positive. Um, so, but I'm sure, you know, there's still a lot of unknowns, so we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see, but I hope you can join us, uh, again, uh, in the future um, for another episode of The Passing Shot. If you have enjoyed listening to us, remember to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to us. And uh, yeah, make sure if you have enjoyed listening to us to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. And you can follow us uh, on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Passing Shot Pod. Um, and feel free to get in touch, send us your questions and your thoughts and suggestions. Um, we've also got an email, passingshotpod at gmail.com. So do get in touch and we'd love to hear from everyone. Yes. And in terms of our upcoming schedule, we've actually got some really exciting, two bits of exciting news to give uh, to you. We have um, uh, our next guest uh, installed. We are recording on Wednesday as part of our Passing Shot Meet series. And Kim, we have hit the big time because we are going to be featuring at a later point in time, a two-time Grand Slam champion. Uh, we won't give the game away just yet, but uh, yeah, that is no doubt going to be an episode uh, to look forward to. Um, we're also, I know Wimbledon is not on, but Kim, we have both been aware that on Netflix is Wimbledon, the the movie featuring Paul Bettany. So we're going to do a little, we will do a little exercise film club film review episode, giving the passing shots view on the Wimbledon film. So uh, yeah, we'll give you some, we'll let, uh, we'll let listeners know on social media on when that all kind of takes place. And of course, we'll be doing some more catch ups as we head back into tour mode. Um, but for now, uh, I really hope you've enjoyed listening to this catch up episode of the passing shot. I hope you're safe and well, wherever you are in the world. And uh, we'll hope to see you again shortly. Do you reckon we could get Paul Bettany on 
a passing shot. Is he big? Is he an A-lister? Do you think he would reach out to a, a tennis podcast like ourselves? Well, do you know what? I was just wondering that. And then I was thinking, what else has he been in? I've, I don't <laughs> think he's been in any other films, has he? He was in that one <laughs> with Tom Hanks when he was that. He was the bad guy. I think he played like a monk or something in... Uh, oh, like Da Vinci Angels Code. And or, oh. Yeah, Da Vinci Code. <laughs> <laughs> well, why not? Let's get in touch with his agent. We'll see what happens. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.